MSW Media. Hey everybody, this is Dan Dunn, and on this episode of What We're Drinking, I chat with Alex Ebert, the lead singer of Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Really one of the my favorite interviews that I've done in a long time. Alex is a fascinating guy, and I think you're really going to enjoy this. Also on this episode, I speak with Rob Dietrich. Rob is a master distiller. He is the master distiller for Blackened. Blackened is a whiskey started by Metallica and another master distiller named Dave Pickerel. Dave passed away, sadly, uh, last year, and Rob uh, has stepped in to try and continue Dave's legacy. And so far, he's doing a great job. I think you're going to enjoy that interview as well. Thank you for being here with us, and let's get to it. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. So when I was a kid, I grew up in Philadelphia and I grew up, I didn't have any money. We had no money growing up, and uh, treats were few and far between. But one of the treats when I was a child was my grandmother, who was really, really old when I was a kid, and she's gone now. But every year, she would take me to John Wanamaker's, and John Wanamaker's is a department store, and was a department store in Philadelphia, and they would do a Christmas show every year, and this was the treat because we would go down and they had a guy that was sort of the master of ceremonies at the Christmas show. And he was, to me, the most amazing person. He used to wear these really garish costumes and he would come out and, and he would just orchestrate this whole extravaganza. And a lot of the time when I would go, and I was a little kid, I was like six or seven years old, and, and I would look at this guy and I would think, he's talking to me, right? Like, I got it. This guy is telling... And like I would leave there thinking everything's going to be all right. And so then one year I went to the John Wanamaker's Christmas show and my grandmother surprised me and said that after a John Wanamaker's, we were going to go see Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the movie, Gene Wilder. And we went to see that. And that was probably the best day I remember. It sounds like when a I was day. a kid, I, I went, <laughs> I remember walking out of there thinking, this is, this is happiness. This was what happiness feels like. So I bring this up because I just witnessed a, a set of music here at Bourbon and Beyond by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And I don't know exactly why, but it made, when I was sitting there, I teared up a little, tearing up a little bit now. I, uh, yeah, hold on. <laughs> All right, there we go. I teared up a little bit when I was watching the show because I thought, Jesus, man, like, uh, this is what happiness feels like again. Much older now. And so I am really happy <laughs> about that. And I'm also happy to have the guy sitting in front of me right now who made that happen, Alex Ebert of Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And thanks for joining me, man. Oh, my God. What a story. That, that, that's so overwhelming to hear, man. That's so beautiful. <laughs> well, it's cool as hell, you know. It's like I think about 
that's all I ever wanted, you know, as a, as an artist. It's like, why do you want to? Why do you want to do this? You know, and that that's the only that's the only thing is like uh, having a having a positive impact. And it sounds so fucking cliche or trite, but it's um it's fa- to have a, to hear a story like that is um you know it sounds like a cliche, but it makes the whole thing. So much more than worth it. You but know, it's, it's like not. I can it's die. A- I can die a happy person. Now, <laughs> but real. it's not. It's not. A, it's not a cliche. Because and trust me, man, I'm the most cynical motherfucker there is, right? right. right. But every once in a while there's like a crack in the armor and this thing seems and it just happened right. here in Louisville. Right. And especially when uh, Alex went out into the audience. Well, the, the first moment that I really was when you when you faded into instant karma. Uh, by by John Lennon, and the whole crowd was singing. You know, we all shine on, and I started going. And then when you you went out into the crowd, and you asked s- some people to share stories with you, and at that that was the moment when I just started tearing up. And I thought it reminded me of that guy. I don't know who he, the hell he was. The guy that used to run the John Wanamaker thing because he was just there to make everybody feel good. But more than just like anybody can get up on stage. I always felt like he was talking to me and I felt like that's what it was with you and I think a lot of the people in the crowd probably felt the same way so thanks again man like that's that's isn't that what it's about isn't that what performance is about is connectivity man connect yeah yeah that's everything so man you're here you guys just you just finished the set and uh you're from Los Angeles you're from Los Angeles live in New Orleans now I'm I live it out in LA I'm from Philly originally what is it like for you coming like do you play a lot in this part of the country in the middle of the country in the south and that sort of thing well we don't play a lot much at all lately the last three three and a half years we've kind of been laying low but um no we don't get to come out here that much um you know it's really nice to be sort of in a place where the where the music sort of is the um the music is leading. It's not style or fashion or, or sort of culture that's leading, but the music is leading. And, and that's kind of refreshing, you know? Yeah, and I think that's... This festival in particular, they, they're not... It's just it keeps going, and they have such an amazing lineup. In fact, while we're sitting here talking right now, I'm looking in the bed. There's Leon Bridges is on stage, and that's going to be followed yeah, by ZZ great. Top, and that's gonna, yeah. and they're not playing around here. Um, you So you've taken a couple of years off from touring... Do you miss it? Do you miss being on the road? Do you? Yeah, I miss it. Yeah, yeah. I just haven't seen a <laughs> stage is, presence like you are. Like when you're up there, you you kept you kept talking about like let's pretend like we're in the living room, right. and that was. But I mean, it doesn't come off. It's not right. It doesn't come off as affected or anything. I'm like, you're just you just seem to be so simpatico with the audience at that point where. Yeah, I probably should keep uh, playing live <laughs> because, <laughs> because uh, you know, because that happens. And I and how can you turn your back on something like that? Um, the thing of it is, is the um, sleeping in a tin can six months out of the year, like in these tiny little things and just not being able to move. And in Europe, the buses aren't even tall enough where I can stand up straight. And I love it. But like and then you you waste your whole day, like sort of like squatting in a you know a tube of metal and then you go out on stage and you have an amazing time but it gets um it gets grueling you know like um i mean you know i sound like i'm i'm extraordinarily unbelievably grateful but anything in enough repetition can get like you know like sure oh my god yeah and the other thing is like i i love writing songs and i don't get to write as many songs as i want to when i'm just touring all the time that said yeah like 
we've been playing shows and there's so everything you've just been telling me has been gnawing at me in that I can't really turn my back on this because of that connection thing you're talking about and if someone you know when you develop when you find out what your superpower is on earth because we all have one it's hard to it's hard to walk away from that you know and so yeah I'll, and, be, I'll be I'll be back around <laughs> and the engagement like the other thing that really impressed me was and I don't even feel like everybody picked up on it but at one point you were singing and you were you were pointing out people in the crowd and what they were doing at that exact moment that they were doing it and yet integrating that seamlessly into the rhythm of the music and I was I was super impressed man I was like and I had read something somewhere that said back in the day you wanted to be a rapper and that's that talent like that's the thing that's always impressed me about rappers when a guy look at something and go all right I got I, I have this rhythm in me and whatever's happening, whatever sensory input I'm getting, yeah. I can just fold that into my music. And yeah, you were yeah. doing that the whole show, and it you was chop really it up impressive. And put it in the soup. Yep. Yeah, it was yeah. incredible. It was really incredible, man. So, um, you are you relocated in New Orleans about eight years ago? You said. Yeah. What 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 brought that? Was just like a. I was having a kid, and and uh, my uh, baby mama. Uh, you yeah. know, there's no word in English for that. There's no word for me. Yeah, not, not really. <laughs> so my girlfriend, who I who I was pregnant with. See, that's not technically I wasn't pregnant. You were never she was, pregnant. She, she was yeah. pregnant. Anyway. <laughs> uh, she didn't want to raise a kid in L.A. And I was like, fair enough, fair enough. Um, there's my, there's a place that's like my favorite place on earth. Let's try it out. Um, New Orleans reminds me of the, um, the island in Pinocchio when the kids get sent and they become donkeys. It's like, <laughs> it's total permission to be yourself, to like... I don't know. I, I feel in very special places only once in a while where, like, I actually feel like I have permission to just sort of live without a whole bunch of, like, uh, externality, sort of, like, hipster pressure or or c- commodity pressure or anything like that. Like, people live down there, like, really lax, you know? Yeah. There's no, like, ladder climbing and, you know, all that kind of... Front, Shit that you get in L.A. Fronting, yeah. 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 And I mean, it's funny because, I, so you grew up in L.A., I grew up in Philly, so when I got to L.A., there was this magical quality of like, what the fuck is going on here, man? Like, I remember my exposure to L.A. would have been like rap videos when I was a kid in Philly, and then, you know, like, I remember the movie Colors, remember that movie with Robert Duvall and Sean? I was like, oh man, L.A., is like, that's a badass place, I gotta go there someday, and... <laughs> I've been there now. I've been there 19 years. It's amazing. I mean, it, I love. I grew. I, you know, LA is special, man. Yeah. Yeah. But what do you think about it? Now? Well, it's. I've been there 19 years, Are and you I'm ready in, to leave. Well, or? I'm in Venice, right? So it's yeah, like it's I remember. Nice there. I, but I remember being in Venice and thinking I'm in Venice. Like this is Venice, and now I'm like I'm in fucking Venice. Like, how many more <laughs> square fucking mansions can you put up? Like it's changing and everything oh my changes. God, yeah. But New Orleans doesn't ever seem to change that way. No, it's gentrifying a little bit, but it's um. It's, it's tolerable so far. And also there's sort of a limit to the amount of gentrification because there's, there's not a lot of industry there other than the service industry and then you had some a little, a little film and then you have like your basic retail stuff. So there's no like, you know, hidden bank over there that people can like access and start throwing man. Like Venice is crazy, you know. I mean, I still, it's weird to see the, you know, to see culture get uh, like counterculture be you know, turn into culture culture. But that's what happens. I, I have this place in Detroit where I'm trying this experiment um, because uh, basically where you buy up a whole bunch of like a couple blocks 
And in Detroit, it was extremely cheap. It was a hundred dollars per or a dollar per square foot. And then if the house, the place next door was empty, it's, it's two hundred dollars. And we bought them all up like with this amazing woman named Shu, who already was living on one of the lots. And in her, with with her vision, sort of leading the whole thing, we bought up these three blocks, and then we put them into a trust. So that people can live there and whatnot, but like it can never be; those blocks can never just sell and turn into like mansions. And all of a sudden, so whatever we're growing there, the culture we're growing there, we'll be able to stay. And then you have the mansions around. A couple mansions aren't so bad, you know. No. <laughs> but when it's all mansions, it's like yeah. I'm in Venice and I'm going, and, and there's also that sort of sense of, and I'm sure you had this. Every neighborhood in LA has gone through this, from Silver Lake to Echo Park, where you're you're kind of like, hey, motherfucker. The reason you're coming here is because we made it cool. Exactly. And now, now we gotta now go. We gotta go. <laughs> and why do we gotta go? But yeah. you know, that, I mean, that's the history of that's the history of our, that's the history of punk rock. When you when you were just saying a second ago, I was thinking about the uh, White Man and Hammersmith Palais uh, by the Clash, and there's that line, you know, if, if Adolf Hitler flew in today, they'd send a limousine. Like, it's like everything gets co-opted. Everything gets like you know, uh, it becomes a commodity. Yeah. But I think. The righteous people, the cool people, they find a fucking way, they find another place. And so 20 years from now, people will be talking about how, you know, Lawrence, Kansas is the coolest place or something right. like that. Yeah, you know, right. so, or Detroit. Yeah, it moves. It yeah, moves. It moves. It, it survives. <laughs> so what are, you, uh, what are you up to after you split here? Uh, I go back to New Orleans. I'm working on a, on a, double, a double solo album. Um, I'm doing a, pulling a George Harrison, I guess. Yeah. Um, and working to finish that, that'll be out in a couple months. Um, and then, you know, at some point I'd like to get this band together in my studio in New Orleans and make another fucking album, you know, and and make one and then another and then another and, and really churn them out and focus a little less on touring and out. Like the thing about the album cycle that like is so difficult is that, you know, first of all, the album format, the nine songs, the, the ten songs, that's because that's how, how much could fit on a piece of vinyl. So that's why that's and that's why an album's an album. And then touring it, you know, the whole idea of touring one album for three years is just like, Bob Dylan put out four, four incredible albums in one year in like whenever that was, Blonde on Blonde and, da -da -da -da, and Blood on the Track, whatever that shit was. Anyway, I want to do more of that and then, uh, and then play... When we came up, what I wanted to do was never play a legitimate space. Like, this would be fine, but I wouldn't want to play, like, uh, theaters and whatnot. I want to play people's backyards, uh, train yards, uh, parking lots. I want to have a bus where the stage pops off the roof and sits on the side, and you pull up next to the homeless and play downtown or whatever. Just non-traditional. Um, well, and then, of course, I fell right into the traditional thing, and it didn't end for, for seven years. So I'd like to... I'd like to get back some of that like DIY energy. Well, that's the thing. You just, I just, we just, we talked about it earlier. We just witnessed it there. You, when you went into the crowd, first of all, and not, people describe it as it's not fearless. No one's gonna fucking hurt you here, right? But when you went in the crowd, like you seem perfectly at ease, and that's not the case. I would guess with 95% of lead singers in big bands, right. like to walk out there and be in front of the, be in the audience, grab a smoke from somebody, right. you know, go up to say, give a hug. I get one girl. Well, was, you know what the thing is? Sorry. Whoops. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know I what know, the thing I, is? It's that it's unbearable to be anything but free on stage. When you're on stage, it's so much pressure that unless you just let it all go, you're just going to have a terrible time, you know? So it's almost like this amazing crucible where you just have to pick a, pick a lane, you know, and the, the, the lane to choose is free. <laughs> I just want to say, let's have a quick shot and then we'll get out of here. Alex, I want to say, man, again, you know, thank you for 
transporting me back to a uh, to my childhood, <laughs> which was really nice, man. You know, I it's it's rare that you get a moment when you go that is pure joy, that is something truly authentic, that is something meaningful that I'm not gonna forget anytime soon. And and I want to thank you for it, man. And cheers, brother. That's Alex Ebert, Edward Sharp, and the Magnetic Zeros. Uh, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you so much, man. That was me. That's my whistling. And that was Alex Ebert. And I got to tell you, that was great. Really enjoyed it. And I hope you did, too. So now I want to tell you a little story before we get to our next interview or as a sort of a prelude to our next interview. Uh, September 2005, the lobby bar at the Viceroy Hotel in Santa Monica, California is, as usual, teeming with the fancy folk. Among them are Tim Ferriss and J.D. Fortune. Ferriss is the lead singer and founding member of In Excess, the best-selling rock band Australia has ever produced. Fortune is a fresh-faced singer from Canada, fresh off winning a reality TV competition, replaced the late Michael Hutchins as In Excess's frontman. We've been at the bar a good while and thus rightly lubricated. Fortune confides in me that he was living in his car under a bridge somewhere when he was chosen to be a contestant on CBS's rock star In Excess. Out of sympathy, I offer to buy a round of drinks, but he's not having it. Waves me off with a wink and a shiny new credit card in hand. Everything's changed now, he grins. Everything. A few years later, the band fired him. Yeah. Hmm. Have a little whiskey. I can't help but think of J.D. Fortune while on my way to meet with Rob Dietrich in Denver. Dietrich, you see, is a whiskey maker and a damn good one at that. And uh, this past June, he was tapped by Metallica to be the master distiller of their blackened American whiskey brand, a position previously occupied by spirits industry legend Dave Pickerel, who passed away in November of 2018. To be clear, unlike Fortune when he landed the In Excess gig, Dietrich is no stranger to the spotlight insofar as it relates to the spirits industry. Before taking the Blacken job, he spent 13 years at Stranahan's, more than half of it as the top dog, helping to turn Colorado's first micro-distillery into one of America's leading purveyors of premium craft whiskey. As for handling pressure, Dietrich did two tours in war-torn Somalia with the U.S. Army's 10th Mountain Division. Remember Black Hawk Down? He was there when that almighty hell went down. There's little danger of his being crushed by the weight of his new responsibility. Still, Dave Pickerel. Blackened was his baby, his recipe. Fair or not, just as in excess fans expected Fortune to blend falsetto with full baritone as seamlessly as Hutchins did on tracks like Disappear, Dietrich knows he has to make that damn whiskey sing, just like Pickerel did. He told me he's not trying to replace Dave because that's not possible. Um, we were drinking at a bar called Fort Green in the Globeville section of Denver when he told me that. He just said he's excited and honored to have the chance to carry on Dave's legacy and to uphold the quality and consistency of the whiskey. So far, it looks to be a good fit. After all, music is in Dietrich's blood. 
I actually met him years ago at a little dinner party that Stranahan's threw on the stage at the fabled Red Rocks Amphitheater, which has hosted the likes of the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, Metallica, and yes, in excess. Dietrich was over the moon that night at Red Rocks, and understandably so. After his stint in the Army, he spent 10 years working in the music business. Loved every minute of it. Indeed, he was ready to spend the rest of his career in the music industry, but then he fell hard for whiskey. And as many of you know, she's one hell of a seductive mistress. He told me this was the culmination of all his experiences in life. His music background, his distilling background, his passion for creating art. He said the band has entrusted him with something special. The whiskey means a lot to them and their fans, and it certainly meant a lot to Dave Pickerel, too. So through hard work, determination, and abundance of talent, Rob Dietrich has earned the right to be Blacken's new frontman, and I, for one, am hoping he hits all the right notes. So here now is a chat I had with Rob very recently at a whiskey festival in Kentucky. It's always a joy for me to talk to the, uh, the cool people in our industry. And you know what? Let's face it. Most people in our industry are cool. But not everybody's as cool as the guy sitting with me right now, nor is the brand that he makes whiskey for. It's Rob Dietrich of Blackened Whiskey. How are you, brother? Doing good, man. I am uh, excited to be here. Always good to see you. I'm always cool to hang out with you, man. We, we did some stuff in Denver not long ago. Probably going to be doing some more stuff in Denver. You were shooting bottles of whiskey and <laughs> riding around in a si- in a motorcycle with a sidecar on it, which was pretty awesome. Now, let's Rob. Let's for those people that don't know who you are, well, you 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 are the master distiller for Blackened Whiskey, which is a whiskey that was started by Metallica. Yeah, started by uh, Dave Pickerel and Metallica. So you know, he uh, Dave um, for you know for those of you guys who are. are Knowledgeable in the whiskey arena, he's a legendary craft distiller. Um, no longer with us, he uh, he passed away last year, very suddenly. Uh, a huge loss to to our distilling community. Um, so I was uh, was fortunate enough to um, to uh, take up the mantle and uh, and work with Metallica on this uh, this amazing collaboration. Yeah, and you, I mean, and we've talked about this before too, but it's like you had to come in and it's not like you're trying to fill the shoes, but obviously there was a legacy there that Dave had and, and you've come in and I, and I got to be honest, man, it hasn't missed the beat. It's, you know, like the, I didn't, no one expected that it would, I think, but I mean, it's, it's the, the whiskey's amazing. I, I, I'm a big fan. I like to sip it when I'm at home and when I'm hanging out with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you you were at Stranahan's Whiskey for a long time. That's kind of where you cut your teeth. Absolutely, yeah. And you are from Montrose, Cal- uh, Colorado, which is you were kind of described yourself as a bit of a geek when you were a kid yeah. growing up in Montrose, which is in the mountains, man. That's it. That's that's not big city. No, no, there. it's definitely an agriculture community. I was also, you know, I was kind of a geek growing up because, you know, we didn't uh, we didn't have TV growing up, so I read, you know, voraciously. I always had like three or four books going at a time, and so I, you know, I, I was I was kind of punching outside my uh, uh, outside my weight, you know, with when, when it came to reading and just like just just you know chewing up books. So I was always interested in in just learning, and uh, and then uh, you know then I discovered uh, punk music, and that just you know that that switched. Yeah. So then I became. You know, one of the only punk kids in an agricultural community. So, you know, I got I got used to the, the cowboys kicking my ass. I was going to say, get the shit kicked out of you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got used to that. 
Um, and then you you worked in the music industry for, for about 10 years. Yeah. And uh, we're going all over the place. And I remember uh, a couple of years back when you were at Stranahan's, we had you, the brand, threw a dinner on the stage at... Red Rocks. Yeah, that was epic. That was so epic. And what was really amazing was, you know, I I think most people that were there felt very lucky and privileged to be there. Anybody that's a fan of music knows that Red Rocks uh, is uh, one of the world's great music venues. And you, but I remember looking over at you at one point, and you just had this look of someone who, uh, you know, I was ready to walk up and maybe pinch you a little bit because you seem to be, it was like, wow, man, here I am. I've got a dinner. Everybody's drinking my whiskey. We're on stage at Red Rocks. You you found a way to combine the two things that you love, making whiskey and music. Yeah. And that's what's incredible about, and while you and me and everybody out there wishes it didn't happen for the reasons that it happened with Dave passing away, I can't. When when I got word that you were ta- that you were gonna uh, take on the re- the responsibility there as master distiller at Blackened, it was like, of course. <laughs> I didn't That's think awesome. of it first, but when it, but then as soon as they said your name, I'm like, of course it has to be Rob. I mean, yeah. you because now you're you're still. It's like you now you got Metallica and and the guys are really involved, right? Absolutely, man. They got their fingerprints all over the process. You know, especially when they were working with Dave. Uh, you know, to create the, the collaboration, you know, they're working on that sonic, you know, that the black noise sonic enhancement. That's a that's a full collaboration between, you know, their musical skills and Dave's Dave's whiskey skills. And for me, I couldn't be more in my wheelhouse. You know, like when I heard about this whole thing, that was my first question was like, all right, I want to know about this sonic enhancement. I want to know about this black noise thing. How does this work? Does it work? And I was I was so blown away about one the science behind it and how 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 it does work. Um, and just how, how much fun, uh, you know, the band has had to be able to, to, to tie into it. Uh, well, and just so you know out there listening, I don't want to just to, so people are going, what, what is this? So basically, they make the whiskey, and then it undergoes a very unusual uh, process during the aging period, which which Rob has referred to as sonic enhancement, or what was the other term you were saying? Uh, black noise. Black That's noise. The trademark. So yeah. tell the people what exactly is going on here, and then I'll I'll attest to how this works after you tell the the, the, the technical part of how that works. Well, you know, first we strap the barrels to giant tortoises. Um, <laughs> uh, so you know, so I mean, so you know, in all seriousness, it's uh, um, it's it's pretty extraordinary. You know, anytime you're you're messing with something that's as legendary uh, and tradition and seeped in tradition as making whiskey. Um, anytime you start, uh, you know, doing anything that's outside the norm, you know, you're going to get a lot of people looking at you. You're going to get a lot of people wanting to kick you in the shins and say, you know, that you can't do that to whiskey. And it's like, well, you know, it's a modern era, man. You, you can do anything with whiskey. And that's and that's where, you know, Dave was uh, was fond of looking at this project and saying, you know, you, you got to think outside the box. As a matter of fact, there is no box. You know, forget the box. And, and that's exactly the way I love uh, this approach. And, you know, with, uh, with the black noise method, you know, that, that system is taking music, and obviously Metallica music, and uh, playing it at such a low hertz that it's vibrating the, the, the barrels. It's vibrating the whiskey so violently um, that it's penetrating further into, uh, into the barrel. You know, so you're going past that, that beautiful line of caramelized sugar, the, you know, those vanillins and tannins that are in the, in the char. You're going past that. I mean, we're going, we're going you know, beyond. We're going to the forbidden zone. And, and, so and those sonic waves 
are actually having an impact on the flavor of the whiskey. They are. I, you know, the you know we had a, a control barrel that uh, of the of the finished whiskey and uh, that had not had sonic enhancement to it uh, with the black noise. Then we had the the control barrel that that had the the sonic enhancement. Uh, it was a mind blowing just the color difference, just just visually. Right away, you can see a color change. Um, on the secondary level, there was a definitive flavor change. You know, it's it's going past um, past that red line and into into the beyond. You know, we're going Star Trek style with this thing. It really is incredible, and I've told this story before, and people on the show probably heard it. But I was one of the first people to try it with Dave at Tales of the Cocktail down in New Orleans, and exactly what Rob described. He said these. These are two whiskeys that were made the exact same way, except one underwent this this uh, sonic enhancement, yeah. and the other one went another one. Different playlists, different. Yeah. And I looked at Dave, and I, I would say I was skeptical. Okay, uh, I was skeptical the first time too. I mean, that's uh, that's why I ask questions. I'm a whiskey nerd, so I'm going to ask and all those questions. It was so true. I tried it, and I was blown away. I couldn't believe that that was the only difference. And and he was on to something, and I know Dave was super excited about it. And it's got to be uh, not only a thrill, but also uh, it's got to be, I guess, a bit of a daunting challenge for you to be able to carry this on. And Certainly, uh, you know, nobody's doing this. Yeah, you know, it's 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 you know when I when I first got approached by uh, you know somebody from the, the Blacken team, uh, you know the you know first thing I'm thinking was like, yeah, no pressure. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, like uh, you know, it's only you know. Uh, the legacy of Dave Pickerel and, uh, and 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 Metallica, you know, some two two heavy hitters. Um, but you know, man, I, the only way you grow, uh, you know, as a human being in any capacity is just you got to step outside your comfort zone and you got to you got to run straight towards it. You know. Well, you don't. You're look, man, and just people out there, so you know. I, I think one of the privileges of, of getting to do what I do is that I meet a lot of people, not only that are distillers but winemakers, and. There's nothing that I would describe as normal, okay? Yeah, yeah. There's, they are the people that do this are artists. They're they're creative people, and therefore they're they tend to be quirky and they tend. To, but thank God for the weirdos, man. Right? Thank when, God when the, the going gets weird, weird turn pro. But the other part about it is, for the most part, everybody you meet is the genuine article because there really isn't a lot of room for bullshit in this business. Like you just can't bullshit your way through it. You either, and Rob is one of those guys that is, you know, it's not like, Hey man, I'm, you know, I'm working at a hipster distillery and I should probably take up, you know, shooting or I should probably, maybe I should get a motorcycle or get like, you're it, man. You you, live live the life. And not only did you live the life in the music industry, whiskey, you were in the service, you were in Somalia when shit was going down there. Like you, everything you've done, you've committed to it and you've seen it through and I, and and I'm you know I'll be honest man like I it's I'm you know I think it's just very admirable the way that you carry yourself and the way you took on this challenge with this whiskey and and knowing that Dave the shadow of Dave is looming large and it still yeah. is oh yeah you know, absolutely. I'm looking over there there's a black and poster right now and Dave's still on that poster he's in right? the center man he's in right the center in the center between with, Metallica between Lars and Jay yeah. you know, between the band and and the fact that you were not only not afraid to do that, but you came in and like you do everything else, balls to the wall, and you're killing it. And Blackened is, uh, you know, just going to continue to to go and go and go and uh, uh, unto the breach once more, man. And That's, I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to because eventually, 
we're going to start seeing some things down the line that are going to be you getting to have some fun and, yeah. and getting in there. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you have on, on tap for the, for the brand. Uh, you know, I am as well, man. You know, the, the biggest thing for me is, is certainly, you know, honoring and upholding that legacy of Dave. You know, that's it, that's to me so important. Um, you know, but also, you know, I, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people coming up to me and you know say, "Hey, you got some big shoes to fill." I was like, "I'm not going to fill those shoes. Those are yeah. Dave's shoes. That's a legacy that that man created." Um, and I and I, I'm honored to you know continue to uphold that. I brought my own shoes. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna dance. I dance in my own tune. I'm gonna be bringing some new innovations in, and 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 still honoring that legacy that Dave has created. And and to me, you know, being able to do both of those things is uh, and work with such an, an epic and uh, legendary band. I, I mean. I couldn't be happier, man. I'm, I'm living uh, my dream within my dream. Fantastic, man. And I want to raise a shot here. Let's have a little bit of yeah, black. Yeah. And Rob, don't, hold on. Let me go. And... Uh, hello, beautiful. Ah, that tastes good. And with that, I want to thank Rob Dietrich from Blackened. Check him out on the social medias. It's out there. What do you got? Uh, Whiskey Rob and Whiskey on the Instagram. Rob. And then, of course, Blackened. Go try it. Rob? Always great to see you, Dan. Brother. It's good. Uh, it's, it's good to see you, brother. We'll get you out in that motorcycle in uh, Colorado soon. I can't wait. Let's let's do it in January. Oh yeah, January. I'll, I'll get in that side. I'll car. put a buffalo hide on you and throw you in the sidecar. <laughs> we'll we'll head up the hill. All right, brother. All right, man. Talk soon, man. Take care, brother. Bye. stop that right now and get too fired up and it is the end of the show i gotta calm down <laughs> that was a lot of fun uh, i want to thank alex ebert i want to thank rob dietrich i want to thank you for joining me on this episode of what we're drinking we got a bunch of good ones coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks i got florida georgia line i've got uh, some big time distillers i got eddie russell hall of fame distiller of wild turkey I got Amethyst Kia, I got Pearl, we got so many bands coming and other people. It's going to be a lot of fun. I invite you to go and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at The Imbiber. That's T-H-E-I-M-B-I-B-E-R. And um, I don't know. What else is there? Is there anything? Is there nothing else matters? Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters.